Gaming on the Frontier. And this is Trav. Welcome to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast, your podcast where you find out that there are people out there keeping an eye on you and they may be doing it for not the right reasons. Yes, we are continuing with adding real world cults and secret societies to your role playing games. Now, last time we broke down how to do so as far as having them as friends and allies or enemies and rivals, how you could put them into fantasy, modern, and futuristic campaigns, also PC run secret societies, and the the only idea that I could come up with was a superhero group for a modern society because it is nobody knows that you're part of this group you do so under an assumed identity and you have people such as villains and law enforcement trying to break up said secret society well I'm, I'm sure I can help you out though because uh, there's lots and lots of secret societies I can I can think of <laughs> probably some of them will be in the list that we'll be doing later on Bruce also um PCs in secret societies, such as having just one member with a secret agenda, the entire party having the same secret agenda, or for you very advanced role players, members are all of different groups. You may have one or two with this group, another with this, two or three with this, and you have to sit there and commit to the group goal, but you also have to have your own goals in mind. As we said last time, definitely for advanced role players. You don't want to spring that on a new group or a new player just because that's something that takes experience to do as far as being a tabletop role player. So the list of secret societies I have is quite long, but these are all ones that you folks have probably heard of at one time or another. And they've ranged all throughout history, and some of them go back centuries. Um, a lot of them have been brought up in popular culture, TV and movies and whatnot. So that's probably where you're going to have heard a lot of these names and once I describe them. And I kind of took the liberty of giving some comedic descriptions for some of them just to help with the pop culture references. Now the six that we focused on last time were the assassins or the Hashish, the Hashishim, the Middle Eastern assassins who came in with the curved knives and everything. The Aum yeah, don't, don't go all jihad on me, okay? Yeah, yeah. The Aum Shinriko, the ones who did the Tokyo subway attack with the sarin gas back in 95. The Freemasons, the Knights Templar, Mossad, and the Thule Society. And just in this last episode, I always thought the Thule Society was the mystical aspect of the Nazi party. No, the, the Thule Gesellschaft was the forerunner of the Third Reich. Now, and this leads right into the first secret society we have. The mystic arm of the Third Reich is known as, and you're going to forgive me, my German is about 30 years out of date, Anonerbe. It's the mystical arm of Nazism led by Heinrich Himmler. Yeah, well. Yes. And once again, I'm getting the information from Sylvan Publishing's, well, their, their Flaming Cobra imprint 
And it's a D20 book from about 10 years ago called Secret Societies, and it's by Landon J. Winkler. I'm sure that you can go to like onebookshelf.com and get this PDF. Very useful book for something like this. It's where I've drawn a lot of my inspiration for this. But the Anunnaki... I love, I love the name Flaming Cobra Imprint because well, it the sounds, imp- just well, like, sounds like just what would be happening. If I saw a cobra, I would set it on fire and I would, I would stomp it into the ground. Yeah. So Flaming Cobra Imprint actually sounds very good. <laughs> well, from what I heard, Imprint is like if you have a gaming company and then you set off like a separate group within that company for certain projects, uh, like Scorched Earth Studios has the other Verse America Imprint. Um, but yeah, I found this book found the PDF first, I found the book. That was one of the ones, the massive stack I got at Gen Con that one year. Um, led by Heinrich Himmler, the NRNRB was a special group within the Nazi SS and the home of most state-sponsored occultism and pseudoscience during that era. Think Hellboy, the Nazis that summoned Hellboy to Earth in the first movie. The organization consumed large amounts of funds and produced no real results. Their studies led to exhibitions in Tibet, attempts to find Atlantis and the Holy Grail, and the construction of several theories that seem poorly understood even by their creators. The world ice theory, supposing that all existence is formed by ice vibrating at different frequencies, was somewhat popular. Now, the Anunnerbi, obviously, if you, in a fantasy game, well, of course, Nazis are always great villains. I mean, you can put them in any type of campaign. I mean, we have, oh, and I'm blanking on the name, and I saw the movie at Riches. Iron Sky, that's it. Oh, yeah, Iron Sky. That's a great movie. <laughs> I I love that movie. That was great. I, um, and and I think there was even a sequel, which unfortunately does not stand up to the first yeah, one. Yeah, I remember seeing the trailer for the sequel. No, Rich had a movie night at his place, and it was me and Mel and Russ Hirschler and a bunch of. I'm just watching this, and I really. I mean, there were some funny moments, but I just I could tell that it was not American sensibilities that wrote the movie. I think it was a German-made film. Well, it was definitely uh, out there. Yeah, that's I'm, for sure. But yeah, and, and of course, and and the the way that they depicted Americans was not the way Americans would depict Americans, unless of course they they were unless they were totally spoofing Americans. Oh yeah, then I knew it was of a European and yeah, uh, Tony on his way home. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, same way that you know the Japanese in their anime spoof Americans. I mean, they, they sometimes it looks like they're really trying to be serious, and you're like going, they just don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine, because we don't get any other culture either. So uh, we're, yeah. all, we're all guilty of it. But yeah, nobody likes uh, uh, Nazis, uh, even though there was like a, a case of one good Nazi uh, over in uh, uh, Nanking. Uh, the rest of them just basically, you know... <laughs> It's, it's it's an easy go to. I mean, there's well, few, yeah, there's few other like, groups that you can get. I mean, like the KKK is another group that everyone loves to hate. Uh, I'm trying to think of what other groups are there that people really love to hate um, that are well known. Because um, I personally think the Knights Templar got a really bad rap. I can't think of any. Maybe you can, but you know, it's. Uh, uh, but move on, please. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. So modern day, yeah, the not Anunnaki. Iron Sky type thing. Futuristic, you could probably put Nazis in too and have mysticism there. And I found out Hitler was actually a fan of the occult in real life. So, I mean, yeah, oh, this, totally. this was a real thing. I mean, there. I mean, of course, you can play this out like in a modern-day campaign. Oh, the movie, and I just saw it with Moran. Constantine, where they had the Spear of Longinius, the spear that supposedly pierced the side of Christ. Right. Um, You could have, you know, modern-day... The modern day Anunnaki trying to find holy artifacts to make the Fourth Reich. Now, in a fantasy game, considering the multitude of humanoid races 
that are, in, you know, humans, dwarves, elves, gnomes, yada, yada, yada. Having a Nazi-like group being against elves or gnomes or what, really easy to just plug and play. And because it's a fantasy campaign and nine times out of ten magic is involved, the Ananerbi would be perfect to put in, just saying, yeah, we're looking for that one artifact that'll wipe out all elves or will subjugate gnomes or whatever, and we can use their technical expertise to, you know, conquer the world, you know. And just the Ananerbi, because of the mysticism, you can add it to a low magic campaign where your spells are all ritual-based and, you know, kind of risky, or a full-blown D&D campaign where your, your, your wizard's flinging around meteor storms and whatnot, and just you up the game by using the Ananerbi to, okay, we have a new type of magic, or we found this artifact, or we're on our way to find the artifact, and we have to beat them. Again, it's the things like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, looking for the Holy Grail, or you could put in any number of relics or artifacts with the Ananerbi and just have fun with it. I mean, let's see, D&D, I'm trying to recall, you know, the Axe of St. Cuthbert, or, oh, the Vecna ones, those would be good. It's not much of a jump, alignment change jump for them. If they get the eye or the hand. Because uh, I believe neutral evil. Yeah, I think the Nazis would qualify as lawful evil. Um, so yeah, the Anunerbi, you can put them throughout because Nazis are plug-and-play villains. It's like the hashtag says, always punch the Nazis. Now we have the Anunnaki, who are the reptile beings from Sumerian mythos. And of course, let's not hope I get my Facebook account eradicated for this, but, you know, it's the running urban legend that Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, is a reptile being. We've heard it about Hillary Clinton. You know, just, it's there. It's it's another gimme where you can well, just... Hmm? Yes, I mean, I, I mean, it, it, I mean let, let's just... It, there's not... They're, they're, I'm sorry, they're... Uh, standing record isn't enough to defame them. Let's let's go and take away their humanity and replace them by by saying that they're an alien reptile hybrid. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because no no human could do anything like that. Okay, let's see. In mythology, the Anunnaki are Sumerian deities that came from heaven to earth. In the writings of certain conspiracy authors, primarily David Ick, they're a group of reptilian beings from another dimension that crossbred with humans in the distant past. Now their shape shifting spawn consume human flesh. For most of the prominent families of the Western world generally feed on human misery. Other theories Ick has put forward that they have the Anunnaki themselves play, taking human form, possessing human hosts, and positions of global power. Some versions of the theory of the world leaders not being Anunnaki themselves, but being my control through lifelong conditioning. Uh, and what they say are whatever theory is correct in your game, the Anunnaki will engage in some sort of blood magic and are able to conceal their presence. Certain spiritually sensitive or drugged individuals can see the Anunnaki's actual form. They individually have major political or economic power, have some basic magic or psi abilities, and work as a vast network. Yeah, now, ooh, Bruce, the old, because they don't have this race in Pathfinder anymore, or if they did, they've re, pardon the pun, reskinned them. Mm -hmm. The Yuan-Ti. Okay. Yeah, those would be real good ones to have as fantasy versions of the Anunnaki. Uh, in the second world setting, the one that I, thanks to the open fiction license, merged with Bureau 13 D20, the Eskidi. Basically, these are type, like, reptile beings that do arcane experiments. They'll do the stuff like cut you open to see how long you scream. That sounds right up an Anunnaki, right up their alley. Yeah, see see how many organs that you're going to remove until the person dies. Yeah, exactly. And so, <laughs> just, yeah. Uh, and, and modern day, of course, we already, I've already stated those now futuristic campaign that would be something along the lines of it would have to be like a lost race a race that today you know out among you know in the galactic alliance 
Oh, the Anunnaki, yeah, they were, you know, they, they their civilization disappeared 6,000 years ago. Oh, come on, they don't exist anymore. They wouldn't have some vast conspiracy. Um, but yeah. Yep. The, Just remember that the, uh, the devil's best trick is to make everybody believe that he doesn't exist. Or what I still don't know if it was Polar Doyle, the best place to hide something is out in the open. Yeah. Well, that's not hiding. That's the purloined letter, hiding in plain sight. So that would have been Poe. Got it. Okay. okay, but yeah, the Anunnaki, again, Sumerian mythos, I mean, you can just, I mean, D&D had deities and demigods, and look how many pantheons they had there. So, yeah, the, the Anunnaki of the Sumerian mythology, pantheon, plug and play into a fantasy game. Other than that, they would be your basic conspiracy-type games, like Bureau 13, Chill, Beyond the Supernatural, where, again, they're puppeteers. Right, and, and a lot of games where they have things like um, you know, secret societies, or they have spy stuff going on, and and, and a lot of times they, they play it straight, and then all of a sudden they'll bring in something that was like, what? <laughs> they'll bring in you know something that's always been there, but you didn't realize it until like the third season when they suddenly realized, oh yeah, the reptiloids are also here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have the Bavarian Illuminati, based off of the Masons, which you're going to find out that in this list and already last episode that the Masons had just spinoffs and they had progenitors, and it's like the the and I'll use the the polyamory term, the polycule that the, it, it looks it would look like a complex chemical diagram because of all the various offshoots and progenitors that the Masons had. But yeah, the Bavarian Illuminati, usually when you hear secret societies, that's the one that always comes to mind. It was created by Adam, Adam Weishaupt in 1776, and they operated through the Masons in the area, recruiting from within their ranks and using their resources. Weishaupt's orders sought to overthrow the conservative government of Bavaria at the time, which resulted in a sweeping law banning secret societies in 1784. In the meantime, the society drew in many great thinkers and influenced several others outside the ranks. Um, I do believe Isaac Newton was probably one of those, I believe. Well, he was or, a no, he's a Mason. Society. He was a Mason. Yeah, he was a Mason. Yeah. And Masons are a secret society because they have certain rituals that are not, uh, certain ceremonies that are closed and outsiders are not allowed to see them, nor are the members allowed to talk about them. Oh, so, yeah. One of my it, uh, one of my gamers is a Mason, and I'm, I just looked at him. I'm like, I won't ask. He goes, good, because I can't tell you. Uh, <laughs> my buddy, Jaron. Um, yeah, yeah, you end up having to drop on my games because every other Saturday at a Mason meeting, I'm like, dude, just... Yeah, but modern theorists argue a great deal about the goals of the Illuminati and whether they still exist today. Two camps exist. One, that the Illuminati were merely a revolutionary group of intellectual backing, striving for the Masonic ideals of freedom and enlightenment, but are now long gone. The other one, murderous group aimed for world domination, existing from the dim past to the present day. But they got so much of their structure from the Freemasons that it says, and would need to be used alongside some other society and game. So if you're going to have something like the Bavarian Illuminati, have they, they have to have a progenitor. It just, it works that way. I mean, if not, they're just another secret society. But if you want the flavor of the Illuminati, yeah, they are the even more secret than the secret. And of course... In a fantasy game, matter of fact, um, for modern, there is the comic, the Marvel comic miniseries Illuminati, which has, let's see, pretty much the smartest men in the Marvel universe. You have Namor, Reed Richards, Tony Stark, Doctor Strange, Professor X, Black Panther. These are all like the biggest brains in the Marvel comic universe, and they get together and they have meetings and whatnot. 
So something like that where in any type of scenario, present, past, present, future, you just have these incredibly learned men who publicly are already known as this, but they're doing what I call, and I usually say this with a lot of dripping sarcasm, they're secret cabal star chamber BS. And they're, you know, plotting and yeah, they're 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 known, but there's definitely an agenda. And you could put these people in any like a group of wizards and priests and powerful adventurers are powers behind the throne. Modern day, it could be something like I just mentioned, the Illuminati from the Marvel Universe. Now, in a future campaign, it would have to be just something it, they could be used. They could be your patron in a campaign where you have all the great thinkers and they said, okay, you know what, publicly we're a little too powerful. Let's hire, and they would use, and because of that, they're that smart, they would use the term pawns, i.e. the player characters. And they would just be like, okay, we need you to do stuff. Well, why don't you do it? You guys are this, that, and the other. We're a little too well known. We might cause too much attention, but if you do it and we will pay you handsomely or we will do something to compensate you for this, yeah, It'll get done. Just follow our instructions of the letter. Don't ask questions and just do what we say. So yeah, the the Bavarian Illuminati definitely, as I said, pretty much when you say secret society, most people are going to think that that's the first thing that pops in their head. And it's just through history and pop culture that they've been, I guess, glorified, I guess would be the term. And I remember um, Eric the Enabler, when he helped me make the Kabbalah families for B13D20, he said that no, the the Price family. No, we made up the Illuminati. That's our that's our smoke and mirrors. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that is, that is pretty deep. If they if they claim they made the Illuminati, um, so next we have the Bilderberg Group. Pretty much, they're Europe and North America's one percent. Now, when I mean one percent, if you've been watching the news over the past couple years and you've been hearing of the top 1% or the 2%. The creme de la creme. And the Bilderberg Group is named for their first meeting place, the Bilderberg Hotel in the Netherlands, where they are first called by Prince Bernhardt of the Netherlands, David Rockefeller, and others. Every year, they summon no more than 100 influential people from Europe and North America to discuss increased cooperation between nations. The location, guest list, and agenda are openly available, but what actually occurs remains absolutely secret. And you've got political leaders, powerful bankers, business leaders, royalty, defense experts, government advisors. And they meet for a few days under very heavy, heavy security. They discuss things for a few days and they go back to their lives. Understandably, this has led the organization to be accused of being everything from neo-Nazis to the New World Order to a resurrection of the Illuminati. Well, gee, let's see. If everybody knows that all these businessmen, business and government people are getting together and talking, yeah. Tongues are going to start wagging. You're going to have these people going, okay, why are these people all together? Why do we have shipping magnets and energy experts and defense advisors and other government officials and captains of industry? As they said, their meeting is public. Everybody knows that all these people are getting together. It's just once you get to that door, hey, what are they doing? Oh, okay, I'm sorry. That's a very big gun, sir. I'll go the other way. Um... They serve as an excellent example of a group that could be running large portions of the planet by committee. In a setting with many powerful conspiracies, it could also be sort of an annual secret society playground with ranking members of different societies, making alliances and jockeying for position. Yeah, basically, it's the secret society of secret societies. <laughs> the creme 
the creme to the uh, of the secret. Yeah, right. The 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 they are the top one percent of the one percent. These are the people right. that their own secret societies don't know what they're planning. I'm sorry if I if I was part of a secret society, and I found out that you know John Q was going to the Bilderberg Group, and I wasn't. I'd be a little I'd be a little just be like, what are you talking about there, John? Hope you have fun at your secret society, John. Just remember, I know where the money is spent. Yeah. <laughs> it it just yeah it it these guys there oh there was a, as I said there was a, and I think I mentioned this in the last episode there was a movie and it was with Michael Caine pretty much he was playing one of these powerful people and he confided with the person the other person in the movie. Yes. Yeah, Tony again. As I said, he just got in the door. Um, and he basically looked at this person and said, you do realize that only 100 people on this planet run the entire planet. And the person's like, what do you mean? And Michael Caine's character says, well, they run everything from business to government to energy to defense contractors. And everything. They run the planet. Even if they don't think that they're rulers, what they do makes this planet go round. So yeah, that would be a, a perfect example of the Bilderberg group. And he even mentioned, I believe, from the person who told me about this movie that they meet every year at different places around the world. So, yeah, if you were into an intrigue game dealing with that type of stuff, to which if you'd play Pathfinder, Ultimate Intrigue would be a very good splat book for that, the Bilderberg group would fit in any one because, again, fantasy, kings, generals, wizards, bankers, merchants... And in the future, you could have, you know, like, interstellar megacorp CEOs are all meeting. So, and, and the Bilderberg group, there are other groups based on it, which we'll get to later. Next, we have the Carbonari, or the Charcoal Burners. Now, they're also linked to the Masons. They were kind of like a smaller, a much smaller Italian version. Because Bavarian Italy, you know, you cross that border in northern Italy in the Alps, boom, you're in Bavaria, southern Germany. So, needless to say... They didn't have to go far for inspiration. Now, the Carbonari, and no, I'm not talking about the Bearmen from Robotech, the Sentinels, took, made up a revolutionary secret society spread in small cells across Italy during the 19th century. Extremely closely related to Freemasonry and allied with several lodges during existence. However, when the Free, while the Freemasons used stonework for the symbolic basis, the Carbonari used a creation of charcoal, which in the 19th century was used for art and whatnot, so... Also, unlike most Masonic lodges, the Carbonari respected only their laws, only their laws, and spoke often of killing the tyrants that lorded over them. When a government they respected appeared in Naples, the Carbonari appeared in great numbers to help keep order in the city, recruiting police officers into the order to lead their patrols. The society eventually seized control of the area, largely through force of arms, being, before being driven out with Austrian help. After their defeat. Carbonari steadily weakened and eventually disappeared. So they were like a flash in the pan. Uh, the society was able to rise to power quickly and secretly among an oppressed populace and struck out through sheer force of arms once they gathered enough members. The society can promise a way out, first through spirituality, then through talk of revolution, then finally through actual revolution. Yeah, the Carbonari, you would use them for sort of a... I mean, you could play it as a, a small campaign arc in modern fantasy or futuristic where, yeah, you hear them building up, and, and the PCs could even be the ones that help bring them down. So having this smaller offshoot of a much bigger secret society, the players would be thinking, okay, yeah, these guys are, you know, they, they thought they could go out on their own, and they're getting, the, the term that my old buddy Mike used, getting a little too smart for their shorts. And it would be a real good way for the PCs to feel like that they are 
affecting things on a much larger scale. Because here you have... I mean, and it'll get the players going, too, because they realize, yeah, we took out this secret society, came in, took over this town or nation or planet, depending on your scope, which, between fantasy modern and futuristic, that scope will expand. In a fantasy game, it could be a major metropolitan seaport city. In modern day, it could be a nation somewhere in the world that this, this group takes over. And, of course, once you get to the future, sky's the limit. Oh, yeah, they took over, you know, three systems. You know, their small fleet, you know, managed to come in and placate the wars that were going on three systems, and now they're the cops there. And the PCs could be, you know, with their little flotilla or whatever, come in and break that up. And you could do, you know, space battles and all that cool stuff. So, yeah, the Carbonari, that secret society, I see them best in a role of something that, it's a secret society, yes, and they were based on a much larger one. But it would be perfect for one for the PCs to come up and take them down. It would give them, and Bruce, you've used it, I'm, I'm blanking, a sense of agency. They would, oh, yeah. They, they would feel yeah. like they would be shaping the campaign world because that's bragging rights too. Well, if you have a situation where the, you know, the PCs feel like there's all these grand forces in control and it's they, they have no way of ever even getting in because it's hereditary or you've got to have a trillion dollars before you can even like buy in then having somebody who basically takes them under their wing and and sponsors them or uses them for those purposes at least they feel like okay well whatever's happening in this world at least we're a part of it we're not we're not the victims or the 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 pawns of those those forces well yeah it so, doesn't even have to be that they're agents of another secret society coming in and saying yeah these upstarts over here we need your help to take them down no the pcs do it themselves because that secret society like the carbonari is still small enough where the pcs at least have a chance a PC group's not going to go up against the Illuminati or the Masons. That's not happening. But a smaller group like the Carbonari, the players have a much better chance through really good role-playing and then really good combat scenes where they can take this group down. And in the end, that will also help the character's reputation because all of a sudden you're there out in space and you got, you know, some Billy Batmses and they realize oh, crap, this is one of the people that took down that group a couple years ago. And that helps the character reputation. It helps build the character's story because the PCs have now cemented a place in the campaign world as the group that took out this other group and saved, you know, star systems or a city or a town or a state or whatever because that's now part of their reputation. That's bragging rights, which anybody who role-plays... They want their character to have bragging rights in something. We cleaned out a dungeon. We took down, you know, a drug cartel. Anything. So the Carbonari would be a real good way to add them in. And as I said, you could do them in a modern day campaign. You could have them as a... And I, I've used the Carbonari, I think, in a con game years ago. And I do believe, I think it was a mob thing. So, you know, the Italians were back and they decided... They, the Mafia was, no, no, we need the secret group. And it was basically a resurrection of the Carbonari. So, 
All right. The Gnomes of Zurich, a Swiss banking conspiracy. Now, they're coined in 1956 by the British Prime Minister, claiming this mysterious group was undermining the British pound. Uh, many conspiracy theories have used the term since as a labeling for banking conspiracies in general, and Swiss banks in particular. The label's also been used by for the powerful Masonic Lodge, the Grand Lodge Alpina, which many powerful Swiss bankers and politicians belong to. This lodge, in turn, has been accused of links with the P2 Lodge in Italy. That'll come up later. If they exist as one powerful block, its motives are almost entirely unknown. They would certainly interest in collecting more money and protecting their secrecy. Other possibilities suggested by different authors, including supporting fascism, running the global Masonic conspiracy, or being somehow involved in the global drug trade via money laundering. Now, again, this would be more... You'd have a lot of intrigue because you're dealing with people who control economies. In And here's the good thing. If any secret, real-world secret society or cult lends itself to fantasy, here you go, folks. You can make it where the gnomes of Zurich are actually... No, well, first of all, we know that the general fantasy conventions for gnomes is that, one, they're probably the most technologically advanced race out of all the, and I'm going to use the old 2.0 term, demi-humans. Because they have their clockwork inventions, and Dragon Lance, you know, exploited that to a comedic degree. And they're good with alchemy. So just, if they're the ones backing technology and science, they're going to get money, because you're going to have, these gnomes are going to be getting all sorts of governments wanting their gnomish inventions. So the gnomes, after a while, are going to become very rich and powerful because they know they've got the ears of the government. They've got the ears of all the kingdoms. And, I mean, these guys could be war brokers. I mean, if if you wanted to not play up the ha-ha practical joker aspect of the gnome, which seems to be the norm as of late in Dragonlance, we love Dragonlance. I mean, a lot any of us who've played, a lot of us cut our teeth on 2nd edition D&D Dragonlance. But if you want to get rid of that ha-ha funny, you know, oh, my machine exploded, or I play practical jokes, and you wanted to play the gnomes as captains of industry and technology in a medieval Renaissance-level tech world, the gnomes of Zurich would be perfect to have them. Just plug them in, it's like, yeah, you got to watch it. Oh, the gnomes, yeah, they got their, you know, their bodyguards because, you know, these guys have incredible wealth, man. They they know the king and everything. So, and in a modern game, if you wanted to do urban fantasy, again, the gnomes would fit just fine. Where they have a small nation in the Swiss Alps. They live inside the mountain. Very few humans know about them, and those humans are usually working as their outside facade. Oh yeah, we have Mr. Mr. Langendorfer over here. You know, I'm, I work for him, and you find out Mr. Langendorfer is a 400-year-old gnome. Um, futuristic, basically, yeah. Um, conspiracies controlling the monetary systems. Oh yeah, because you could sit there and embargo planets. You could sit there and buy out whole agricorp worlds and everything. And these guys could control trade. And in an interstellar and intergalactic society, trade is the, the, the lifeblood. It's where all the real power is. Yeah. So if these gnomes are sitting there and all of a sudden they decide... Yeah, we're not going to ship um, needed medicines to this world. We're just going to cut them off for 72 hours. It's like, you know, late campaign fringe worthy. After a while, if stuff isn't coming to 
through the fringe past 72 hours, hundreds of thousands of people can die on Earth Prime. It's along right. the same lines. Where and, you... and, that, and that's exactly right, because, you see, by delaying, see, that's one of the strongest tactics of these kinds of groups, is delaying. Because it's like, we're not going to, you know, we're, we're not going to not give it to you, okay? But we're going to delay so you understand our power, and so the next time we tell you something has to be done a certain way, you're not going to resist, because you saw what happened the last time, you know, you had a slowdown, you know, yeah. last, you know. How they, you know, ten thousand people died. Okay, and you were the ones that were held responsible, not us. Hey, I'm sorry. You know, you know, <laughs> and, you know solar wind, and uh, you know, there was a, you know, there was a thing, you know, a uh, thing not working in, you know, whatever, or or red tape, red tape from yeah. the government. Yeah, it, it got held yeah. up in the Galactic Senate. Yeah, yeah, because of their. You know, because their people didn't do the right thing. So, yeah, delaying is a tremendously powerful tactic because, you know, it, it, it gives you, uh, it, it keeps you from being like total horrible people because it's not like you're letting everyone die. No, we're not letting everyone die. We're letting, you know, you're letting everyone die because you didn't acquiesce to our yeah, demands. You play, ball with, you play ball with us and these people will prosper and flourish. Right, everybody prospers and flourishes. That's the real, you know, slippery slope. Yeah. Hey, we're not saying, you know, that that we're cutting you out. Oh no, you get a piece. Everybody has a piece, but we get control. So you know, you either we're the be ones cut that out. we're the ones that distribute the pieces. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 like I said, it's it's you know what they tried to do with the. Um, um, uh, like the mafia and things like that. A lot of times, they're like, you know, we're, you know, we're in control of this part of it, and that makes all the difference. You know, we're we're the, you know, we control the truckers' union, and as a result, you know, all your long distance shipping. Yeah. You know, or, uh, you know, let's say, uh, uh, a, you know, a, a ship, you know, that's crossing the ocean. Okay, it arrives two days later. You know, then you know, it, it arrives on time based upon what the group wants, but not what everybody else wants. And as a result, everybody, you know, goes, to every, everybody knowing that they're coming in or knowing that they're going to be delayed, goes and buys and sells, you know, uh, based upon a perceived shortage, but really isn't a shortage, you know, because in two days later, they're going to be flush. So, you know, they, they capitalize on it. That's all part of, you know, what these, these perceived things do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, so the Gnomes of Zurich, if you want to do things along the lines of banking conspiracies and there's a conspiracy that controls the money, this would be a good one to put in, as I said, plug and play in any of them. The next one we have, the Greys, yes, the little gray men and the UFOs, yeah, um... Many fringe conspiracy theories now invoke the Greys as being the puppet masters of the human race, or at least whichever government or religious group the theory, the theorists think run things. Now, their descriptions have been in flux for several decades, but now have settled on the large head, large eyed, small bodied, gray or green alien. Their main activities, including wandering around in flying saucers, abducting humans for experiments, and meeting with powerful organizations or individuals. Oh, come on, it's in the Weekly World News, so it must be true. Uh, many serious conspiracy theorists won't touch aliens anymore, carefully providing human causes for their conspiracies. Although, uh, most modern games have already taken a, had a take on the Greys, although the D20 modern take has included separately D20 Future. Yeah, 
And they've even put the Greys now in Pathfinder. Yeah, I believe in Bestiary 5, they have stats for the Greys. And they've got the, where they can put you to sleep mentally, and they have, you know, the the paralysis, and yeah. what In a modern game, the most important thing is, why are they here, and what are they, why are they performing these experiments? Now, I'm not going to go into what everybody says the, 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 the space aliens do. We all know, children do listen to this podcast, do the math, folks. But yeah, we've had the things of the mutilated cows where, oh yeah, we found this cow without its, you know, hooves and liver out there in the middle of the field. And strange, you know, the grass was blown over strange, like almost in a circular pattern, you know. But yeah, the greys usually, heck, they even did versions of the greys in the uh, last Indiana Jones movie, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. They just had them from another dimension instead of outer space. Yeah, you you know... As the, the worst case is that they say, well, the Greys are just us, just a million years evolved in the future. Funny you mention that, Bruce. My, let me get the family tree in my head. My stepsister's ex-husband worked at the Tonopah Test Range, a.k.a. Area 51. Career military, Air Force, worked Army civilian, and then went back into the Army for, I, even though he was already in his 40s. But I'm standing out there at my dad's place, and he knew that I did this game. And we're just standing there, and it's that, you know, sort of rocking back and forth on your heels, that uncomfortable silence. And all of a sudden, Joe looks at me and says, you realize I can't tell you anything. I'm like, damn it! And then he looks at me and says, but think about this. Those flying saucers. Now imagine what a 747 would look like to a Neanderthal. What if time? What if the Greys are merely just evolved humans and they're time travelers? And I'm looking at him, and I stroke the beard, and I, I say it just like this. Well played. <laughs> so yeah, it, it it a lot of a lot of them now have just chalked up. Well, the Greys are just time travelers. It's how we humans will be in a hundred thousand years. You know, our physical forms will devolve and our brains will get bigger. And the Greys, as I said, it it they can go from comical and the Greebles from Incursion. I mean, you look at them, and that, that's that's Rich's take on the Greys that they sat there. Oh yeah. And, the, yeah, the, absolutely. the Bay of the Ardana knew, and they all they did was quietly fix things, and of course the humans were confused by them, and the the Greebles just treated these humans who were now their masters as if I had a step two, I'd come up and just pat you on the head. You're 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 stupidly adorable. Or you can play the Greys as urban fantasy hardcore horror, like oh dear God, what's he going to do to me? You know, because they did that in the X Files. That's how they explained. When Gillian Anderson was pregnant with her daughter Piper, that's how they wrote Scully out that she was actually abducted. And she had like the 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 tracer chip in her back. They you know they did the wand through the and bing and like between her shoulder blades there was a metal chip implanted in her back, and that right. was due to the Greys. So yeah, you can play them as slapstick comedy or you can play them as just hardcore scary. Me personally, I'd do the hardcore scary. I would make it where just because. Most modern characters would have heard of the Greys, and you as a GM could sit there and push their buttons, you know, like, yeah, what is, what are they, now they got you, what are they going to do with you, huh? Yeah. Are you going to end up getting laughed at like Randy Quaid in Independence Day? Who knows? You know, just... Right. Um, well, you know, if they're, if, if basically we're like pets to them... Oh, yeah. Then... Then yeah, I mean they can be, you can play them very, very cute and, 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 and very, you know, nice and all that stuff but sooner or later you know we're going to do something they don't like and they're going to go inside to get us declawed 
Yeah. And then things happen. Yeah. Again, yeah. do the math. You've heard the the things that Greys are reputed to do. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, and I'm sure they're doing it for our benefit, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> because we're not enlightened to see the long term plans of the the things that they are doing. Yeah. Right, right, absolutely. We are yeah. children in the intergalactic community, therefore we are not enlightened enough to see why they're turning our cows inside out. Right. Well, you know, that may be part that may be necessary experimentation, but the ultimate aim might be something entirely different. Maybe, you know, uh, you know, they, maybe they're going to, you know, uh, change like our pigs so that all of the pig organs would actually be trans uh, you know, uh uh, transferable to human beings, and suddenly, you know, we have an infinite supply of, um, of, you know, medically transferable yeah, hearts organs. and livers well, and lungs, and liver, yeah. everything. Yeah, and and suddenly, all you know, you could live a very, very long time because you know th that's all taken care of. And you know, we would like, why did that happen? No one knows. Or there's just this breed of pigs that suddenly appeared, and you know, it's totally okay with human you know, uh, in, in humans and stuff like that. I mean, I even heard, you know, one time uh, there were doctors saying, well, what we should do is we should take some pig flesh, you know, some pig cells, and inject it into fetuses while they're developing. And that way, anything that comes from a pig is being considered to be normal for a human body. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, I've heard yeah, about and that. Yeah, that, and then nothing ever came of that, which doesn't surprise me because of the reactionary element of that. But, you know, when someone's waiting for a heart transplant, someone say, well, you know, we got this pig over here, and it's, you know, and it, it's gonna, it's willing to give it up, <laughs> you know, because like, you know, it's, oh, it's just, we're just gonna turn it into bacon anyway. Right, exactly. It's like give yeah. me the heart, and then the rest right. of y'all can have breakfast and dinner. Come on, chop, right. chop, let's go. Yeah. But um, instead, what's what we're doing instead is is that we're going and taking somebody's existing heart, um, or or a an existing heart. And we're then going and stripping it down to its collagen and then rebuilding it all the way back up, ah. which is, you know, I mean, okay, this is clearly something that's going to be controlled by an ultra high, you know, uh, powerful, you know, uh, business, right? You know, that sort of stuff doesn't happen outside of the laboratory and a very specifically powerful. I don't see that as being something that's going to be, uh, you know, mass produced. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So nothing like, you know, like, oh, well, we're just going to slaughter 10,000 pigs for their hearts and put them in the, in the in, in, on ice and send them out around the world. You know, anybody can do it. You know, it's just, you know, just takes a, you know, a, the, 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 a butcher surgical skill to do, you know. Yeah. And, and I'm just saying is that it's, it one's a solution that, that basically the, 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 the craftsman could handle, and the other one requires somebody in a clean suit. So, yeah. you know, of course, the big business, you know, the, the, the groups that we're talking about are going to want to support something that they have absolute control over. And so they're going to go for the big, you know, scaffolding solution when maybe there was another solution that would have been a lot easier. Of course, if, if we know that if that actually happened, that, that maybe there would be a thing about, well, you've got pig cells in you, so you're no longer human. So we're going to go ahead and yeah. change your rights. You know, or, and that's or, what, yeah, that's, or or it'd be considered uh what's the term? Speciation. Right. Well, but that's the same sort of thing that they always do every time they want to scare us about something. You know, yeah. you go and say, well, if, you, well, if you're not careful, they'll take your rights away. So you know. So yeah. Yeah. Fear right. baiting is is also a tactic that's 
clearly used by these seeker groups and everybody else for that matter. Yeah. But yeah, the the greys, with the addition of them in Pathfinder, the Bestiary 5, you can have the greys and run it as they could be from off-world. They could be from another plane of existence and they have their... you your Your adventurers wake up and here you are laying on this table and you have these greys looking at you with the big black, you know irisless eyes and all of a sudden they have this strange device in their hand it ain't that ain't no wand and you could do it that way and of course the modern future i love what babylon 5 did that the vesh i think they were called were the descendants of the greys and once they were acknowledged as an alien race the united earth government sued the vesh government for damages for all of the humans that were abducted and experimented upon. This is part of Babylon 5 canon. Right. It was, it was like, I think it was in the opening. Yeah, and they, I'm just they, like... They had this court, and all the greys were staying around looking very glum. <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting there, and my, my former roommate, my first best man, Brian, he's telling me this. I'm rolling. Because I'm like, oh, yes. Way to go, JMS, on that one. That was a thing of beauty there. All right, we have next the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Now... Founded toward the end of the 19th century, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn was a secret society of great import and also made a notable impact on literature. Operated... Now, Hermetic means something. What does that mean? Oh, wait a minute. Let me... Well, because usually they're known as the Golden Dawn. That's what they're usually known as, but that is the full name which I stated. Um, William Yeats, Arthur Machen, uh-huh. Algernon Blackwood, and Aleister Crowley. It says it is relating to an ancient occult tradition encompassing alchemy, astrology, and theosophy. I'm not yeah. sure what theosophy is, but you know, basically, hermetic means they're they're into they're into magic. Yeah. Now the order was formed largely around Masonic lines of initiation, but in mysticism, it went far deeper, including Kabbalism, the Tarot, astral projection and identifying directly with mythical figures. A good example would be the Secret Society in the first Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes movie with Lord Blackwell, played by uh, Matt, Matt Strong. That would be pretty much the, the Golden Dawn. They didn't name them, but that was them. Um, they only existed under that name for a short time, but its traditions continued in several splinter orders. A number of conspiracy theorists placed some of the offshoots along with Aleister Crowley, opposing the Fool Society and later Ananerbe. Golden Dawn created a new line of occult thinking which survives to this day by blending several existing schools of thought. In modern settings, the Golden Dawn's teachings have been widely spread throughout Western culture and almost any group of modern mystics could have some link back to them. An organization of forward-thinking magicians can exist in any setting, but many still serve just as well to provide a backstory for other magic societies and strange activities. Yeah, I mean, you could have... In a fantasy game, obviously, you just have... Well, it's this particular magic school. It's very secret. And they, they, you don't go to them. They choose you. Now, the modern day, the Golden Dawn, you could have them as, again, just these are the people who are like in the RGJ Sherlock Holmes movie. One of them was the American Minister of Defense. Another one was a millionaire. Lord Blackwell was, I think, part of Parliament. And the, these were all people in positions of power who happened to have this other way of thinking involving mystic rituals and mythology now in the future usually in the future magic is not involved putting magic in a futuristic setting that would be the rarest of three 
But if you wanted to introduce even low-level magic, ritual magic, a society like this would be wonderful because here it is, again, they're out of myth. Nobody's heard of this order for a thousand years. Humanity has spread to the stars and they're in others, you know, across the galaxy. And all of a sudden they find this artifact on a world or somebody is killed in a ritualistic murder. And so the PCs have to go through old data files and find out about the Golden Dawn that existed back on the 19th century of Earth. And they have to, like, recreate rituals to find out why they killed or how this artifact may work. And it, they would actually be a good way to bring magic into a futuristic game that may have Psy. But let's say if you wanted to, let's say you had that one person who you're playing some futuristic role-playing game and they want to be some type of mage or cabalist or wizard or whatever. This would be a good society to bring them in to give them backstory, to say, oh, this person researched the old data files on the Golden Dawn, and he's actually made them work. And, you know, he's been able to, you know, do clairsentience, and he's clairvoyant, and he can lift things, and, you know. And it it would probably be low-level magic. Again, a lot of ritual work, where you're not going to be doing the... Vancian School of Magic, where, oh, yeah, these spells, I'm throwing fireballs. No. You're going to be using the Golden Dawn usually for a lower level of magic. I mean, if you want them to be D&D wizards in the future, that's your campaign. You're my YMME, what is it? YMME, YMMB, your mileage may vary. But, yeah, the Golden Dawn, most mystical societies, it seems, stemmed from them due to Aleister Crowley. Like it said here in the book, they were only together for a short time, and then just everybody went their own way and did their own thing. Um, The Holy Vem, which was a medieval German judicial society, also known as the League of the Holy Court or the Vemgericht, was a powerful organization in medieval Germany. It formed numerous independent judicial courts, primarily in Westphalia, a region that now forms part of Germany's western border, and tried people according to its own laws. The courts were formed of freemen of all sorts and served as the primary law in many regions. Some of the trials were held in secret, and if the accused was found guilty, he'd be executed by the accuser and other members of the VEM. In this case, if the accuser was a member of the VEM, he would swear an oath that he did not commit the crime. Otherwise, the accused would not be informed of the proceedings until after the decision was made. More often, however, trials were open to the public, providing a relatively fair system compared to others of the time. As time passed and the Vem became more corrupt, some secret trials became more common. Uh, yeah, basically these would be the type of, and you can use this in any camp, well, modern campaigns with our, our modern society, I think that the Holy Vem would be good in a fantasy campaign, obviously, because let's say you have your little villages, your, and what did 4th edition call them? The Points of Light campaign, where you come from little towns and villages that are separated by vast reaches of wilderness. It's hard to traverse between these points of light because there are monsters in the woods everywhere. But the Holy Vem comes up and they're like, hey, got any cases that we need to try? This is our job. This is what we do. How about it? Oh, yeah, we had this one guy accuse this other guy of stealing his chickens. Okay, and they hold the court right there. And it's awfully often a court of popular opinion. Depending on, is he guilty? Yay. Is he not guilty? Yay. Okay, then let him go. He didn't steal your chickens. Now, in future, yeah, it could be the same thing, except instead of isolated towns, you have isolated star systems that may have only limited contact with uh, local trade routes. So something like the Holy Vem comes up and they, they, yeah, it's their once a year stop. We've got the guys in confinement here in, in our local jail and they come land 
And yeah, okay, you may have to wait six months for your trial, but they are our judge and jury. As I said, modern day with how our current legal system is, <clears throat> again, such as it is, as my old criminology teacher said, the criminal justice system is a great system. It's just created and run by human beings. Um, yeah, modern, if you're doing that with a modern, I don't see them as heroes. These are vigilantes. These are people who would be making up a mock trial and then just, you know, what, what is the term? Kangaroo court? Thank you, sir, yes. Where they just come in, they you're, you're guilty before, guilty without being able to be proved innocent, and they just take you out there. The trial is nothing but pretense. Yeah, it's the classic, you know, you're not going to condemn me without a trial. Oh, we had a trial. <laughs> so. Again, well, they mentioned here that the VEM, they mentioned that the VEM would try in secret, and yeah. the accuser wouldn't find out. It's like, what are you, I'm guilty of what? Where was my trial? When did this happen? I didn't even get Why trial. didn't I get a chance to defend myself? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, what did, what did you think you were going to be able to do? It says, well, you know, is, you know, because unless someone is your, unless you have an advocate, you can't go out and find conflicting evidence. You probably can't examine the documents that they're using to condemn you with. You yeah. walk in the court, and it's kind of like, well, we have a couple of questions to ask you. Okay, you're guilty. You know, or uh, they did it really well in uh, the comic book Cerebus, where at one point uh, they decided the the a new group came in, took over the area, and they just started interviewing people. And they just sat, and, and these people just sit there and they talk about, well, just tell us what happened, you know, and whatever. And as they're talking, they're, you know, they're, they're writing down what they're saying, but then they're also saying, oh, and so-and-so now just confessed to this, and now confessed to this heresy, and now just confessed to this other heresy, when all they're doing is just talking about things that happened, you know, and they don't even realize that they're condemning themselves by their very words, and you know, because they don't know what the other side that, you know, it's how they, they interprets what they're having. And they're not discussing it with them either. They're just simply saying, you know, your your words are, your, are, are, you know, are the judgment of yourself. You know, we're just simply looking at what you said and coming to a righteous conclusion. Okay, uh, let's see. Now we have the Knights of Malta. Now these are the modern descendant of the Hospitallers. Uh, an order of knights contemporary to and rivals of the Templars. The Knights of Malta were created in 1530 by papal decree and given the island of Malta. They eventually lost control of it to Napoleon, but to this day they maintain their own sovereignty and claim independent observer status in the UN. They have embassies in many countries, but no actual territory. Despite this, they issued their own postage stamps and currency, the Scudo. The order is predominantly a relief organization, using its peculiar status to work in countries that aren't comfortable with other nations interfering. Well, sort of kind of like a government in exile, I guess would be say. However, due to their strange status, the Knights of Malta are also featured prominently in many conspiracy roles. Several, several views place them as puppets of the Vatican or part of the overarching conspiracy that runs the world. Others place them as a force of tyranny and superstition opposite the surviving Knights Templar or the Freemasons as the Temple's spiritual descendants. This particular theory is based on the Templars' poor relationships with the Hospitallers, ancestors of the Knights of Malta. The Knights, with their strange status, can serve a number of interesting roles in a campaign. They could be part of an overarching conspiracy, working as field agents in dark corners of the world. They could also have their own reason for seeking out isolated nations. They might be interested in looting ancient ruins, selling weapons, or can collecting parts of reclusive beasts. Alternately, in a conspiracy game, the Order could be looking for recruits in locations that other conspiracies fear to tread. Yeah, government in exile trying to find allies, that, that can be used in any genre. Any genre. I mean, the modern one was stated there, but fantasy? Oh, the king was deposed and his knights are now, you know, secretly traveling the land in order to gain power. And in the future, same thing. It could be 
well, in a way, that's Star Wars, in a way. The remnants of the Jedi are trying to, you know, get the Old Republic back, and so they have to travel in secret. That just now hit me. I look, I said, wait a minute, that's like Star Wars. You got the remnants of the old regime that are now in hiding and the, while the new regime is in power. Wait a minute, hold it. This all seems very familiar. Yeah. Right, and, and, and for some reason, they all end up on Tatooine. Yeah, that, that still <laughs> bugged me. It's like, yeah, I'm going to hide him on the place where he was born. He'll never look there. Really? Yeah, he'll never come back here. He hates this place. Yeah. Actually, that makes a certain amount of sense. I mean, yeah. his mom died there. Why would he ever go back? Right. Well, it's like Luke and Han. You know, my vision must be getting better. Instead of a big dark blur, it's now a big light blur. I used to live here, not missing much. You're going to die here. It's convenient. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, the Knights of Malta, I see them. It, that, that was the first thing. As soon as I read that, government in exile. I mean, they've got their own currency that they have. So you know that they had power and it was taken from them. So yeah, they're going to be going around and you can use them in any genre as a group looking to gain power back through finding new allies, a new base of operation. Because usually what do governments in exile do? I mean, heck, it says they've got a spot in the United Nations. And there's like, what, 170, 180 different nations that are represented by the UN? Think, yeah. Sure. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Somewhere in that range. So oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, some of them are little island countries. Right, so, exactly. Yeah. Like, you know... Uh, Trinidad and Tobago, you know, in the Caribbean. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I would see that that's the best thing, that they are just a government in exile, the soldiers of a government in exile trying to find help in a world that left them behind. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.